0: Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Hey, uh, today uh, we're going to take a step back, if you will, a little review. Well, not really review, but continuing. The last time I was up, uh, I was in two weeks in a row. We were talking about the kingdom of God. And in particular, I was talking about parables, the role that Jesus used parables a lot and talking about what the kingdom of God was like. And we spent two weeks. On the parable of the sower and the soils, sometimes looked at as a sower and the seeds, but better termed, sower and the soils, because it's about the soils. And, uh, and the reason I'm returning to this section is because after Jesus shares that parable, he shares three more parables. And so they do kind of go together. And uh, just looking at how they go together, it's, it's important. Uh, so the first parable, the parable of the sower and the, and the soils, was really about what kind of listener are you? Do you have ears to hear? Are you receptive to what is talked about? Maybe new for Jesus uh, or Jesus' message may be new for you. Are you going to not just hear, but are you going to respond? Are you going to go after? Are you going to be engaged, forceful um, in your approach to the kingdom of God? And so that was all a setup for then he spends three more parables talking about, uh, okay, if you're receptive, what's your role? What is our role in the kingdom? That's kind of the focus of Today. In fact, spoiler alert, what's your role, but also what's not your role? Uh, we kind of get those confused sometimes. So uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to dig in. We're back to Matthew 13, Matthew 13, 30, oops, where is it? 24 to 30. Uh, and I'm, I'm using a, uh, the New King James Version. Uh, this, is the, this is the story of the wheat and the weeds. It may be in your Bible, but I'm using the translation that says wheat and tares. Tares is just a a specific kind of weed. Uh, It's really important to identify what that is. So that's why we're using that term. I'll explain it in a minute. So here it is. Here's his parable. Another parable he put forth to them and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then where does, (laughs) then there, how then, wow, I should read, read. (laughs) How then does it have tares? Um, And Jesus, he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns. So here's a story. Seems kind of straightforward. Really, really a couple of important points here. Uh, Let me just re-paraphrase it. By the way, he tells the soils and then he tells three more parables and then he goes off on his own and that's when the disciples asked him to explain a couple of these. And this, they asked him to explain this one too. He didn't really add much to it, but he did clarify a couple of things. So it starts out, a man sowed good seed in his field. Jesus in his explanation said, the son of man sows good seed in the field. Uh, first important thing is the field is always a metaphor, analogy for the world. So when you see the field, just know that's the picture Jesus painting. The world I'm sowing good seed in the world, and that seed will produce wheat. So Jesus himself is the sower in this case. He's sowing good seed in the world that will produce men and women for the kingdom. That's what the wheat represents. Um, that's his point. I'm, I'm bringing the kingdom of God to you. Some will grow up as, as wheat. Then it says, while men slept. <laughs> I, uh, I tried to dig into that a little bit, but I'll let you wrestle with that one i not sure exactly what the in- implication is there. While men slept, the enemy came and sowed uh, tares in the field and then went off. Uh, and then logically enough, the servants of the owner said, hey, didn't you sow good, fe- good seed? Then where did these tares come from? Um, and Jesus says, the enemy did that. Um, so there's, a, there's part of the explanation. Um, and then the really the key point is, well, since you didn't intend to do that, and that's, that's a good point. Jesus doesn't sow tares. Jesus only sows wheat. So the tares come from some other place. Kind of like our own gardening experience. Where do those weeds come from? I didn't plant those. Uh, that's part of Jesus' point. My kingdom, I'm planting wheat. Um, so, then he goes on and says, uh, well then, shouldn't we uproot them? You didn't plant them. They're bad. They're tares. Let's take them out. And he makes this emphatic point. no lest while you tear up the tares, you also pull up the wheat. Let them grow together until the harvest. Then I will gather them together. I'll send my angels. They'll separate them. Not for you to do. Not your job. That's the essence. that's the point of this parable. Um, well, what are tares? Tares, the reason I like that translation is a tare is a specific weed that mimics wheat really well. Uh, I mentioned the last time I talked about uh, the soils is the weeds part of their job. They compete for nourishment, but some are really good at mimicking the healthy plant, so you don't identify them. That's, that's what a tear is. Let's take a quick peek. Even today in the Middle East, this tear's on the right, weed on the left. Uh, from a distance, you'd never know. You would never be able to tell. Even experienced people would have a hard time separating. Plus, they're inner grown within the wheat. It's hard to kind of, tell you. I don't know if you've done weeding a lot, but sometimes you're grabbing what you think is a <laughs> weed. And uh, mm, mm, good plant. my bad. Um, But that's kind of the picture I want to leave you with, is while they're growing, they look identical. And not your job to try to separate them, not your job to identify which is which. Let them grow together. Um, That's his point. Here's the cool thing, because he says, until the harvest, let them grow together until the harvest, then you'll know. Well, what what is it that we'll know? Well, here, (laughs) I just love this analogy, because when the healthy wheat reaches right next to harvest, it's grown, it produces a large amount of grain, uh, enough grain to where the, the stalks actually bend over. They bow down. Um, the tares don't do that, so they stay upright. Uh, what a great analogy. You know, The wheat at the end, in the harvest, you can tell the wheat from the tares because the wheat bow down. The wheat bow down to the king. The wheat say, we're in your kingdom. The tares refuse to bow. Uh, They don't produce the grain to reveal that they're actually wheat. So it's easier to separate them then. Just take down everything that's still upright. Um, So that's kind of the picture Jesus is painting. And I think part of the reason he paints this picture um, because there was a lot of discussion about the end times. Certainly don't see that today. (laughs) Maybe we do. Uh, But in their day, it was the Jewish understanding uh, the term is eschatology. Just so I throw that out there. Sound like I'm really educated? Thank you. Not a not a phrase I've ever uh, used before. But eschatology is essentially the study of end times. How will things unfold? What do the end times look like? Um, and the Jewish understanding, like the vast majority of the understanding, was that there's going to be well, there's the old way, the old kingdom, and then our Messiah is going to come. When the Messiah comes, the Messiah will judge, set up his kingdom kick out the Romans, and we'll have a new kingdom. So it's kind of a two-part eschatology. we well, a little screen here. we got a lovely visual, not too complicated. Just here's the present age. Our Messiah is coming. He'll restore. Uh, he's going to have a new creation. Judge, everything's done. Simple, two-part eschatology. Uh, that was prevalent thought of the day. A uh, couple of uh, groups that hung on to that. The Zealots were one. The zealots uh, were a group of political activists, if you will, almost military. Uh, They believed this to the point of believing that uh, when the Messiah comes, my job is to be a soldier in this transition. I'm going to help the Messiah conquer Rome. Uh, So zealots were kind of trying to lead the way. Uh, Jesus had one of the uh, zealots in his 12 disciples, Simon the Zealot, was one of his disciples. And I'm sure in his mind he's thinking, I'm more and more convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm excited. This is what I was destined to do. I will fight with him when he takes over his kingdom. Um, Most of the disciples had the same sense. That's what was going to happen. That's why there was such confusion and such uh, disappointment, uh, discouragement when Jesus dies on a cross. Because wait, wait, this is not what's supposed to happen. Uh, John the Baptist held this belief really strongly. Uh, His message was, the kingdom of God is among you. Make way, because when the Messiah comes, it's going to end the game. And uh, there's a point where John the Baptist was in prison, been imprisoned by Herod, and he's clearly a little disillusioned, maybe losing hope in Jesus being that Messiah. Uh, He sends his disciples, sends his followers to Jesus to say, are you the one, or should we wait for somebody else? And I think The reason for that is because John's hearing that Jesus is healing Roman centurion's kids. He is engaging conversation with Samaritan women. He's inviting Gentiles into this kingdom. He's eating with sinners. Those are clearly tares. What are you doing? You're supposed to come and conquer the Romans. You're supposed to judge and kick them out. So Jesus uses this parable to say, no, it's actually a three-part eschatology. Uh, here's Jesus' three-part eschatology. Yes, the present age to come, the kingdom of God is among us. I I didn't come to judge this time. I came to die. I came to make it possible for as many people to be part of the kingdom as can be. But from the time of Jesus' resurrection until the end, until the harvest, the two kingdoms will grow together. Uh, Not our job to separate them, not our job to judge between them. They will grow together. Jesus will take care of uh, who are the where uh, who are the wheat and who are the tares why because we can 't tell we may think we can and sometimes you can't sometimes we can say well that clearly somebody way out of bounds um, but might surprise us uh, Jesus says no you 're going to get it wrong sometimes um, that was his, that was his point. The kingdom of God is upside down it's counterintuitive the least will be great in the kingdom the thing you people you think are going to make it may not be. People you don't think are going to, the tares that you call tares may just be the ones that enter in. Um, so a really critical point. We'll get to what what our job is in a second. But that's what Jesus is saying, not your job. That's my job. Um, even uh, the idea of being surprised, certainly the, the Jews in their culture thought, well the Pharisees, they're definitely weak. Look, they do everything to honor God. They do all the right things. They tithe, they Moral lifestyle, they're 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 in. We're just trying to do what they they do, and Jesus makes clear it's you're you're missing the point. You're like whitewashed sepulchers. You look great on the outside, but inside you're dying. Um, and then it, this verse, which I love in Matthew seven, many will say to me on that day. And Jesus is referring to the judgment, referring to the harvest. Um, he said, "Many will say to me on that day, didn't we?" Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we heal in your name? Didn't we do many miracles in your name? Look at all we did for you. And Jesus said, away from me. I never knew you. Because um, it's not what we do. It's not what we believe. It's not what we think. It's not having right theology, right doctrine. It's a right relationship. And sometimes we confuse the two. And tears can look a lot like we. There's whole churches that are based on doing the right thing and maybe miss the point. Um, so that's where Jesus leaves it. Uh, well, what, well, how do we relate to this? How does that affect me? How do I relate to this narrative? Well, I think for me, clearly, individually and as a church, we spend maybe way too much time focused on trying to distinguish between wheat and tares. Uh, part of our nature is we just judge. Are they, they think the right thing? Do they do the right thing? Um, especially in our Western culture, we don't like uncertainty. We don't like maybe. We want black and white. We want in or out. Are you saved or are you not saved? Did you say the right prayer? Did you, were you baptized? You know, we, we look at signs that tell us, oh, then you're saved. Maybe we give people false hope. Um, you know, as a young life guy for 45 years, Um, that was always a concern of mine. You know, you you share the gospel, uh, you take kids to camp, they say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Oh, you're saved. Um, Just because they said, I want to follow Jesus. But the key is, did they really have a relationship? Are we focusing on the wrong thing? Are we trying to convince people, you have to believe this, you have to do that, or do we just want to lift Jesus up and make sure that that's what people are focused on? because that's what makes wheat in the kingdom is a relationship with Jesus, if that's our focus. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> church history, strewn with damage. If you just, I mean, it's, it's embarrassing really to say, oh, the church churches handled that well from the second, third century where they kick out all the Jews out of the Christian church because they're tares. They're, uh, they're the ones that killed Jesus. Um, all the division of the churches every couple centuries. It's like, oh, you don't believe the right thing. You're dead. You know, we're going to kill you. We're going to have an inquisition. We're going to set up Salem witch trials. We're, what you're doing wrong. There's a lot of wheat that was burned in the, over centuries uh, because people tried to identify the difference between wheat and tares and make sure they uproot the tares. Get rid of it from our community. Jesus says, no, let them grow together. Um, not your job. Uh, so, uh, so, what is our job? Hey, the next two—maybe there is two parables that tell us that—that's um, what Jesus does. He goes from what's not your job to the next two parables. He tells us what is our job. Um, the first one is the mustard seed. Um, Matthew thirteen thirty-one and two. Another parable he put forward to them and said, "The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, where a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds." But when it, when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. you probably heard this story before. I know I did. I uh, always wondered. I said, well, that's kind of cool. I didn't know that. Take a little tiny mustard seed and put it down. It becomes this tree, the birds of the air. What a great picture of what the kingdom of God is like. The problem is it's not a true story. It's not an accurate picture. Mustard, th- and people knew that. People in that culture knew that that's not the way mustard is. Mustard, at best, is a toxic weed in the field. Um, well, again, the field, we talked about before, the field is the world. And sometimes the kingdom of God, Jesus plants the mustard seed to the world, it looks offensive. It's counterintuitive. It's like, I don't like that in my field. I don't like that mustard. Uh, but how it does mimic the kingdom of God is once it gets going, it's, it, you can't stop it. It's invasive, it spreads. So, on one to some perspective, it can be offensive, something I don't want in my field. But on the other side, it also represents this unstoppable, growing kingdom that can't be defeated. Um, And then Jesus talks about, and this mustard seed will become a tree. Uh, Never happened. Here's a picture of mustard. (laughs) Again, the point is, it's counterintuitive. See, if you look. Uh, critically, at a lot of what Jesus said, there are a lot of times where stuff he said didn't make sense. Uh, Hey, if you want to follow me, you've got to eat my blood or eat my flesh, drink my blood. That lost a lot of people. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's offensive. That doesn't work. If I know one thing, Torah says, never drink blood. You're telling me to drink blood? I'm just throwing that out as another example. So it's not like it's not part of common things. But mustard, that's about as much as it's going to get. It's going to spread but it's going to grow maybe six feet tall, seven feet tall. It'll never be more than a spreading vine. So what is Jesus doing? What's he using that analogy? Well, again, he's speaking to an audience that understands their Old Testament. I mentioned it when I was uh, up here before. There's a tool that rabbis and teachers used in that day called a ramez in the Jewish uh, vernacular. And a ramez is, again, a a hint in the text, something that doesn't make sense, Uh, a hook that people go, wait a minute. And they're reminded of something in the Old Testament. That's what Jesus is doing. He's using that. If you see something that doesn't make sense in the text, there's a reason why it's in there. And a lot of times it is this tool of remez. And Jesus throws that in there to say, this mustard seed will become a tree. And people in the audience would know that he's referring to Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel was a prophet context during the uh, exile of Babylon, both warning people they were going into exile and also talking about their return. And in talking about their return, uh, he used several analogies, several uh, prophecies to talk about what that looks like, to say God is going to bring you back. He's going to restore you to your destiny. He's going to establish a new kingdom. And he's talking to Israel, but he's also talking about Jesus at the same time. So here's Ezekiel 17, 22 and 23. Thus says the Lord God, I will take one of the highest branches of the high cedar and set it out. I will crop off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one and I will plant it on a high and prominent mountain on the mountain height of Israel I will plant it it's referring to Jerusalem it will bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a majestic cedar under it will dwell birds of every sort in the shadow of its branches they will dwell um, so there's the picture There's the picture people understand, but Jesus is telling them, when you come back, I'm going to restore, and I love that term, a tender root, because Isaiah 53 talks talks about Jesus in that way. That Jesus is the tender root of of Jesse that becomes uh, our Savior, becomes uh, Jesus uh, in his kingdom. So that's, he's connecting the two. But this idea of birds nesting in the trees, birds are always a picture of the outsider. They're the Gentiles. They're the strangers. Um, And the destiny of Israel and the destiny of the kingdom of God are are the same. We're supposed to be a light. We're supposed to be an invitation. We're supposed to demonstrate God's character, of amazing generosity and hospitality. The kingdom of God should be a place that anyone on the outside would say, I want to be there. That's attractive. I want to nest in that tree. Um, And that's a picture that Jesus is painting. Because a lot of times Israel got kind of sensed about oh, we're God's chosen and the outsiders aren't part of this kingdom. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You're supposed to bless the nations. You're supposed to be an invitation to the nations. The birds will come nest in your tree if you're a healthy display of the kingdom of God. Um, so that's the picture Jesus is trying to paint. Uh, let's not try to separate people. Let's invite people by putting God on display, his nature, his amazing grace, hospitality, invitation without judgment uh, to people. Um, so there's that. And I love the fact that it refers to the mustard seed as the smallest of all seeds. Any seed that you plant, anytime you demonstrate or you put on display God's great generosity and hospitality to someone, uh, it spreads. And if the kingdom of God is like that, Even the tiniest act of hospitality and generosity will have a great impact uh, on people around us, uh, if that's our focus. Uh, So there's the uh, mustard seed. Then he goes on and says, uh, the second story tells him another parable. It's only one verse long. Another parable, he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast, in your translation, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Well, we all know what yeast is like. You put it in the dough and it you know, eventually spreads through the whole dough. That analogy makes sense. But again, Jesus is using yeast and leaven as demonstrating the kingdom of God. Well, yeast or leaven in their culture is, is a symbol of sin. You get rid of leaven in their culture. Uh, here Jesus, again, confusing, maybe offensive to the world. It's like, again, saying the kingdom of God to some perspective may be offensive. But its character is one that's going to grow and spread. And how does it become a blessing like the mustard tree? Well, again, he uses the phrase three measures of, uh, let's read it again. Woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Or in the Hebrew, three seros, uh, the term for three measures. There's only one other place in the Old Testament that uses that phrase. And it's uh, Genesis 18 the story where Abraham is greeting the strangers, if you know that story. Uh, Three strangers come by, and Abraham runs to greet them. Doesn't know who they are. They're strangers, they're outsiders. Uh, But he's, one of the reasons Abraham was a partner with God is because he reflected God's character, reflected who God was and what he's like. So he says, come, come. Let me refresh you. Let me serve you. Let me give you uh, hospitality. And uh, he runs into the house, says to Sarah, tent. So Abraham hurried into the tent to tell Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three Sarahs, three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes or make loaves. Which, again, great symbol. But three measures, three Sarahs, you know how much that is? It's about 60 pounds of flour. Seriously? You're going to take 60 pounds? They're three strangers, Abraham. You tell Sarah, make three measures. Make it extravagant. Make it wasteful if necessary, because that's the way God is. God gives abundantly, extravagantly to some seemingly wasteful. I don't know how much 60, how many of you have 60 pounds of fine flour in your house? Probably none, unless you're a baker. I don't even know, I'm not a baker, I don't know how many of that would make, but I'm guessing it's going to make 100 plus loaves of bread. Hey, three strangers, here's, it's going to take me a while, hang on for a few hours gonna take me a while to make sixty or a hundred and some loaves of bread. Hey, take the rest on your way. And they're going, "Hey, thank you." I mean, it's kind of an absurd picture, but that's a reflection of the kingdom of God. It's absurd. It's counterintuitive. It's over the top. It's ex- extravagant. Some would even call wasteful. Um, <laughs> that's why I want to throw this in here, <clears throat> because in uh, Luke seven. Is a, is a great picture. I love this. It says, Luke seven thirty six to 39. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. She stood at his feet behind him weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears, wipe them with her hair and her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself and said, this man, if he were truly a prophet, he would know who and of what manner this woman is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. She's a tear. Jesus, you should know the difference. Do you know who this woman is? If you knew, you wouldn't accept this. And Jesus turns it around um, and says, no, 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 leave her alone. Um, in fact he goes on to say whenever the gospel is preached you will hear about this woman's great extravagant wasteful because in the other there's two other gospels that tell the story and in, uh, in Mark the translation reads and then when she does this the disciples and Judas in particular says what a waste what a waste that could have been a year's wages she's wasting on Jesus a year's wages could have fed the poor <laughs> And yeah, that's God's extravagance toward us. God isn't just giving out things uh, hesitantly and, and greedily. He gives extravagantly. He gives with great grace and abundance. So there's the, uh, there's the picture. Um, that's what we're supposed to do. What's our job? Our job is not to focus on uh, correcting wrong doctrine but to put Jesus on display put God's character on display be a participants of the kingdom who create an inviting generous hospitable environment for people to come and explore and see what the kingdom of God is like I'll just kind of finish with this uh, uh, story of my own experiences uh, When I, uh, I've been doing Young Life for 45 years Young Life ministry to high school kids also did college, but then when I started out, I was, Judy and I moved to Tri-Cities. We were on staff, and we were doing Young Life in a couple of high schools. Well, the Tri-Cities had uh, a lot of Mormon population. Mormons were, they strategically would put their seminary buildings next to the high schools, and so and they were integrated in the high school. They took leadership positions. And, you know, from a Christian standpoint, uh, and, and, not the, and I, I need to say this. Yes, we need to be discerning. We need to be knowing what we believe and what's important and make those choices, but we're not to lead with doctrine. We're not to depend on doctrine. Because what happened with me is I would say, oh, my job is to defend my kids from Mormon doctrine. Or my job is to talk to Mormons and correct their doctrine. Let me tell you where you're wrong. Let me tell you why you have an inaccurate picture of Jesus. I'll tell you, I never went anywhere, never... Never did somebody go, thank you so much for sharing that. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna follow your Jesus. Never happened. But what did happen was I just said, you know, it's not my job. (laughs) That's not my job. My job is to put Jesus on display. And so I just did that. I treated Mormon kids or any kid the same as I would treat anybody. I would welcome them, I would take an interest in them, I would build relationships, they'd come to club, they'd hear a message, they'd know who Jesus was. Kids would go to camp that were Mormon kids. Kids would make commitments to Jesus that were Mormon kids. Who I would would have thought, well, you're a tear. You know? Unless you change your doctrine, you'll never know who Jesus is. No, until you get a clear picture of Jesus, you'll never change your doctrine. <laughs> uh, that was kind of my, my verse for ministry has always been John 10.10, 10, where Jesus has this conversation with the woman with the well. And he said to her, if you just knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's talking to you, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Not my job to tell you, hey, you have to believe this, you have to believe that, stop doing this, stop doing that. My job is to put Jesus on display. If I can make him clear to people, they will ask him, they will come. Uh, essentially, if we treat people like wheat, they'll become wheat, or they will be we. Um, not our job to make that distinction. Our job is to put Jesus on display. So I uh, normally have three well-crafted uh, follow-up questions. I don't have that. Yeah, I'm hoping that just what I shared, you can just chew on for a while and just think about the implications for uh, for you or for us. Because I want us to be a church like that. I want us to be a church that is inviting to anybody. Uh, we don't pre-qualify people to come to church uh, because Jesus is here. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.